Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you with a late podcast of the old Church Planner podcast. We're late by, right now, four and a half hours. So probably by the time it gets up on the site, six hours? Six hours late? Yeah, like Mike Neal said, it better be up there for my drive home. <laughs> we're actually doing this the day we're releasing it because we've been uh, swamped. Both of us just totally, totally swamped. Yeah, man. We Friday was a, a just absolutely incredible day, but kicked the crud out of me. Ended up driving down to uh, Brea and meeting with a guy I would consider your your person of peace in Stanton, the armpit of Orange County. Uh, we were talking about a church plant there that needs to get started. I've had Stanton on my mind. Obviously, uh, I like planning in places where no one else likes to. And we're getting a core team together. So we met with a bunch of guys, some guys from the SBC, a guy from uh, Mission OC. And, of course, uh, I was from New Breed. And we had another guy who wants to plant in Buena Park. And we all kind of got together uh, as a way of just kind of looking at advancing the kingdom. And then we went on Did you do that there. yesterday? No, that was Friday. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Man, then you really did have a busy Sunday. Oh, yeah, man. No, yesterday was just as busy. But uh, Friday, uh, you and I got together, tried having the podcast, but Islands <laughs> was too loud. It Alas. really was. Yeah. It was. We couldn't do it. So, so all we did was drink beer instead. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we went to a meeting where I taught on missions, and then we ended up going and forming hey, a... I was going to tell you, person. that meeting that, that you spoke on missions, this is what I wanted to say for the podcast. Because we we um, we released our first video for New Breed at that that missions meeting, but um, I was going to tell you you were on fire. I oh, mean, really? like, yeah, that was literally uh, just a great talk that you gave to the gave to those guys. 
giving them insight. You know, it's so funny because I started off telling what I wanted them to get was the fact that, hey, when you're on the mission field, the Holy Spirit turns up. That's why the, the missionaries always have great Holy Spirit stories. And, and what I wanted them to understand is, look, you can have that no matter where you're at, no matter where you go. The Holy Spirit will meet you. If you take one step towards mission, the Holy Spirit's going to take one step towards you in power. But as I was talking to him, I, I felt like a Martian, dude, like I was speaking alien language. And I, I kept feeling like they were looking around uneasily going, when's Bill coming back? Is he, <laughs> you know, like, save us from this guy. Is you Bill know? the one that I, normally teaches that class? No, but I mean, you know. Yeah, uh, you're, you're I, no Bill I, is what you're saying. Well, Charlie, Charlie was live. Oh man, I you know we were just talking before the podcast. My sinning pastor is Bill Welsh. He spoke on Sunday, and it was just so powerful. It was so good. It was like a prophetic burden that he just shared God's heart, man, for the lost, and and it, it was just incredible. I was blown away. I wish I could be Bill, but I come off as like this kind of fiery, like John the Baptist, you know. Um, at times, and I can see people kind of going, "We're not sure how to take this guy, Charlie." Who see, showed I, up that I, I'm I'm going to cut in here. I think it's good that you're not anything like Bill, and I mean, to me, it goes right back into the model of of team leadership. Yeah, you got to have different people with different personality traits because some people are going to be attracted to one, and they're not going to be as attracted to the other. Yeah, abs- absolutely, and especially when you have a team of guys. Where, you know, it's like Charlie and I, right? Charlie's, uh, he's a little bit more mellow. He's still radical. I mean, that dude's radical at heart. He's but, way um, more mellow. Way. He's way more mellow. And he and he's just, you know, Charlie's kind of like the stability. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm kind of like the wild card. You never know what I'm going to do. You never know. Which is funny to Charlie because every church he's ever been in before, he was the wild card. But I guess when <laughs> you put him next to me, he's... <laughs> He's the, what uh, kind of churches did he go to? Were they even alive? Because <laughs> it, it's kind of like when you when you put Charlie next to me, and uh, you know I'm suddenly the ugly one. Normally I'm the sexy one, but uh, next to Charlie, man, all men look ugly. I'm not even going to touch that. So yeah, but you you you're tempted to comment on his hair again, dude. I'm telling you, I wish I had his hair. I really do. I got a horrible Everybody. haircut this last week. It was it was really bad, and it was it was really bad because the whole time I'm talking to the gal while she's cutting my hair, we're talking about really bad uh, barbers and, you know, how can they mess up hair that's as, you know, simple as mine to do. I mean, we're like ragging on everybody. And then she gets done with mine. I look in the mirror and I'm like, dude, you turned me into a Marine. I'm now a Marine. Thank you. How hard was it to do my hair? I thought you were going for like the whole aliens, you know, we're going to die, man, you know, but uh, I think you ought to get a quiff, Pete. I don't even know what that is. Oh, dude! It's like when your when your hair waves at people. You know, it's almost like your hair becomes a hand. It's like, hey, dude, my hair is naturally wavy when it grows out. So imagine a redheaded fro. That's what my hair would be. Oh, I would so love to see that, dude. It's not going to happen. Happy plants, happy plants. You know, <laughs> little Bob like Ross. Bob, Bob Ross, man, painting painting pictures with big old rock in the red fro. You know, happy plants. Hey, but, before you know, we get into our topic for today, well, let right. me, let me say real quick. So you know, um, we went from there, and every everybody, if you could pray for uh, our, our next church plant, which is going to be in San Pedro, uh, we had our first core team that night. It was incredible. You could just sense the spirit of God there, and uh, it, it was just it was awesome, man. Yeah, you're having right. Reuben lead that one, aren't you? 
Yeah. That's kind of a big uh, big step for that guy, isn't it? It is, but you got to remember, I went into ministry when I was like 19, man. That's a, those I'm not saying I don't think he should do it. Don't misunderstand that. I'm just yeah. saying that's a big step because it is. I'm sure he realizes that responsibility. And, and I mean, what I really like most about Ruben is I've only known Ruben since he's been saved. Yeah. Because the guy that I know is nothing like the past that he carries. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. What he just got off parole like a year ago or something. I don't even know if it's been that long. And I joke with him all the time because he put it on Facebook. His his he Facebooked a picture of his. You know, you're now officially re- released from parole. And yeah. I go, that's a piece of paper you're never going to lose. And he's like, you betcha. I'm carrying that thing in my wallet with me. It was so funny because uh, I I met Ruben like the day he got out of prison or the day after he got out of prison. Um, he came to a new breed conference and I remember seeing him, sorry, it was, yeah, it was a day after, it was a day before the new breed conference. I'm setting up the room. I'm walking down the church hallway and I'm like, Hey man, you know, what's your name? And cause he was obviously, you know, he's still sporting like the Dickies and the white beater shirt and stuff. And I'm like, Hey, uh, what's your name? And we started talking and, and, and I said, you know, Oh, are you coming to the conference tomorrow? And he goes, yeah, what is it? And I started <laughs> That's laughing. Great. I'm like, and he tells me, he goes, I have to keep busy. Otherwise, I'll end up back in prison. So I go to everything. That's why I'm here right now. He goes, there's nothing going on, but I'm here anyways. And, you know, that was that was my first introduction. But the guy's an animal. And the cool thing about the church plant coming up is that Reuben can, can plan a church. You see, when you plan in a network, you've got, like, he's got me there. He's got Charlie there. He's got Mike Bonomo, who's, you know, hasn't planted a church yet, but it's been training with us all jacked up for for ministry for the rest of his life. But uh, he, he's already talking about running across and helping Ruben out and the two of them tag team in a bit. So it is so cool when you're in a network because you can't mess it up too bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, for me, it's interesting to watch Ruben because, I mean, I've seen him preach maybe three times. And he starts out really slow. Like, he, I, I get the impression, like, public speaking would not be his his uh, choice um, other than, you know, that this is for the gospel, right? And then when he gets going, dude is on fire. So it's like this whole little startup phase, and then as soon as he hits it, he's on fire. And I just got to wonder, as people come to our church from the neighborhood, and, I mean... What do you think they think when they walk in and they see this dude who looks like an ex-gangbanger and he's up there preaching? Like, they got to be thinking, what is this place? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's refreshing, man. It's so refreshing when you see stuff like that. And people know. They're just like, you know. Uh, I mean, people, I think people get sick of every pastor looking like a GQ model. I don't have that problem, but I'm not a pastor, so. Yeah. So, hey, so, okay, what were you going to say before we get into our topic? Hey, before we get into our topic, this is a call to all church planners. I am looking for a church planner to partner with me on a project that I believe will be uh, worth some good money. So if you're a church planner who's looking for ways that you can make money, you have to have time and you have to have uh, the willingness to work like a dog. But my problem is um, I don't have the time. And so I need someone to partner up with me on this. 
so I can walk them through what needs to be done. And uh, it could be a nice little uh, revenue source for them, you know, provided they have the time to do it. Uh, and, what kind uh, of skill set do they need? They just got to be willing to work hard. Believe me, nothing I do is, is very difficult. It's just I know how to do it. You know, it's like I got the I got the magic code when it comes to making money. But uh, I, I just I'm so you know me. I am swamped right now with uh, with projects. So like you know, for instance, I'm working with uh, Josh Boyd over there at Fight Church, and we're doing the uh, MMA magazine. Um, so this is just another project that uh, that I got that. Um, really what it needs is someone who can literally just put in the time and it's going to be uh, time calling certain people, emailing them, getting them on some uh, teleconferences and, uh, and uh, we'll be putting together a, a product um, to Very offer cool. to the, offer to the masses. So, all right, man, need well, a church hey, planner church for that. Planner, you need money. We know that because you're a church planner <laughs> and uh, Hey, there you go. How did they get in touch with you, Pete? Reach us through uh, Church Planner Magazine. Just go to, uh, you can email Pete at churchplantermag.com. Pete, P-E-T-E, at churchplantermag.com. All right. And they're golden. Cool. So uh, what are we talking about today? Yeah, we're going to talk about, um, well, first thing, there's some sad bit of news. You know, it's very rare that we don't get the podcast out, you know, first thing Monday morning. But we actually kind of sat back and said, you know, maybe God's hand was in this because um, got a sad piece of news uh, over the uh, Internet yesterday. And that was that Bob Coy, uh, pastor of the second largest church in Florida, um, has resigned due to moral failure. Yeah. So. um, So there's a job opening. What's that? Oh, nothing. Sorry. Uh, shouldn't have said that. Uh, maybe maybe to talk around that a bit because, you know, obviously we, we interviewed Bob. I mean, I, I considered Bob a, a friend of the uh, of Church Planner Magazine, Church Planner Podcast, um, a guy that, you know, shoot, man, I, I, I respect and uh, was really encouraged and inspired by his story, felt that he really understood church planning. And still do, you know, I mean, the, the reality is, is that you don't want to start speaking of everything in past tense as if, you know, oh man, you know, like that guy, we knew something was wrong. Um, no, he, you know, he's a dude like any of us, could be any of us. And, uh, you know, all around, he was a good guy. And it's just very sad. I mean, our thoughts uh, and prayers are, are going out. Literally, my prayers are going out because uh, I know his son. You know, I, I, he's in my church planning class, and uh, it's just heartbreaking, man. It's really heartbreaking that this is happening. Yeah, you know, it's part of the reason I think that, that you and I wanted to talk about that on today's podcast. Obviously, it's the the buzz in the Calvary Ch- Chapel circles. Um, it's the buzz in the media. Anytime a, a pastor has a, a moral failing, I mean, the media is just, you know, going to jump all over that. But when you've got... A mega church pastor, you know, twenty thousand people a weekend going to that church. I mean, that's just that's that's chum to the news media. I mean, they're they're like, wow, this is great, man. How many cycles? How many news cycles can we get out of this topic? And um, and I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lessons from this. Obviously, um, you know, and, and one of my first thoughts when I'm watching this stuff go down all over Facebook and everything is. I'm like, my gosh, man, I so don't want to be 
a pastor. I don't want to be a mega church pastor. I never want to reach that level because like when you screw up, it's national news. <laughs> like how much does that blow? Right. Yeah. It's like, you can't just screw up and, you know, go, go lick your wounds. It's national news. I mean, yeah. that just sucks. Yeah, it does. You're, you're in a fishbowl. You start living life in a fishbowl. Your successes, you know, aren't as public as your failures. And that is very, very difficult. And, it's hard. I always wonder if in some ways, if there's something in all of us that doesn't like that kind of pressure. Um, I've often wondered why does a person who's at the top of that game, you know, blah, 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 um, suddenly, you know, do something to and, and psychologists uh, will look at it. Theologians will wrestle with it. Um, guys that have been leadership will theorize. But I always wonder if there's this self-sabotage that goes on because it's just, you know, maybe deep down the person's like, I don't like this. I can't handle it. I want out and I don't know how to leave it and I don't know how to get out. Well, it's um, interesting that you say that because it that does happen in other aspects of life. I don't know why we wouldn't think it wouldn't happen there. For instance, um, you've, you've I'm sure heard this. It's called the curse of the lottery. 70% of people who win the lottery are bankrupt within seven years. Yeah. And a big part of that is because when you see yourself as someone who makes $30,000 a year, using that as an example, and all of a sudden you've got $10 million dumped on you, well, that's uneven in your head because you don't, you don't see yourself as someone worth $10 million. So they generally tend to sabotage themselves, just like you said. And blow through the money, do unwise things with it, and the next thing you know, within seven years, they're bankrupt again. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because it—I I think I was twenty-two or twenty-three. Um, the I'd like to see, by the way, if I see myself as worthy of ten million. So, you know, I'd like to well, win the lottery. You know, when when I was younger, um, 22, 23, I can't remember what age I was. The pastor that I served under um, resigned because of moral failure. And the reality was that uh, I was way too young, man, to, to know what in the heck was going on. I was shell-shocked. Um, I was unprepared. Um, we handled it fairly well. Um, I became the interim pastor. I felt that we, our priority was to protect his family. Um, you know, that, that was, and, and to this day, um, and, and to shoot the church straight, but but just to tell them, look, you know, there's some details that, uh, you know, when you all fail, you know, it's never been our policy to, um, you know, drag your failures out in front of everybody. And, you know, so we're not going to tell the details, not not because he's not held to a higher standard, but he has teenage kids. There's other families involved. And uh, we, we want to protect the dignity of, of the innocent victims caught up in this who did not have a part of it, but are very much a part of it now. And, um, and I'm still proud of that. You know, I still think even today, like I was hesitant to talk about it, but the reality is, um, the reason I think it's important to talk about is not so we can like come from, Oh, you know, Bob Coy, like, I think we settled at the outset. That's not the, the angle we're, we're humbled by this. It scares the crud out of me when I see it. It makes me grateful for the other men in my life 
who have stayed the course and stayed true and give me hope because my default is, man, you know, is this like inevitable? Am I going to self-destruct years down the road? And it's not inevitable. And I, and that's what I want to talk about today. Um, there are ways to kind of ensure and put safeguards in your life, um, certain things like that. And I don't want to make it super easy, but what I do want to say is this. Um, one thing that happened to me during that time that was extremely valuable is my uh, pastor who I, you know, trained under, been mentored by, uh, who had the moral failure, he called me up and said, Hey, uh, Peyton, I owe you this. Um, I'm, I would like to meet you for lunch and, um, let's sit down and talk it through and you can ask me whatever you want. And I will be absolutely honest. I owe you that at the least. And I was young. And, and, and so we sat down and that was my question was, how did you get here? You know, as young as I was, I'm thinking, you know, you were was his, like, oh, was his adultery. Was that what his was? Yeah. And uh, and and so we sat down and, and I'll never forget his answer. I was just thinking about it last night and it's haunted me ever since. <laughs> he said, I got to the point, Peyton, where I got so familiar with the things of God. And there was this and, and this is true. This happens where you can become a professional in ministry. And ministry is not like any other job. Ministry is not what you do. Other jobs are what you do. Ministry is what you are. And he said, I allowed it to become a job. The Bible became a textbook that I referenced to do my job. Um, prayer, that went out the window because I got so good at, at what I could do that I no longer needed to pray to be able to fill a room and to hold an audience and to inspire people. And he said to me, Peyton, make no mistake. It all starts with your walk with God. It all continues with your work with God or your walk with God. And it will finish and end depending on your walk with God. Mm. And I just, uh, that has stayed with me all these years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, that is, I think about this, uh, this whole thing, you know, here, here's kind of the tough thing it, for someone in his position. First of all, you have a failing like this, and you know, like we talked about before, it, it becomes national news, and that that sucks on that level. It really sucks for your family, right? Because now your family, everyone they see, everyone knows what dad did, you know, absolutely, what your husband did, whatever, right? And so, I mean, that really blows. But then, you know, you and I went to the uh, raw conference um, that was put on. I don't even remember who put it on. I know DJ. Are you going to mention the Cheshmo? The Cheshmo! We haven't talked about him in like 30 episodes. Hey, somewhere a church planner got his wings right there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. And, um, you know, and one of the things they, I mean, a, a big thing that they were discussing at this conference was, you know, we as Christians believe that spiritual gifts are uh, irrefutable. Like when you when you're, Granted, a spiritual gift, you've got it, and you can't send your way out of having that spiritual gift. So what do we do with, uh, you know, pastors who have a moral failing? And then, of course, you know, the church's reaction typically has been, well, not only are they out of ministry, but they can never come back. Right. But yet, if they've got this spiritual gift, I mean, isn't that God's call, not not ours? But um, but here's here's where I'm going with this whole thing. How tough is it? Okay, you've just gone through this, right? And now everyone knows your dirty laundry. And then the church 
like can can you go back to your own church what what do you do like don't you need to be around other christians and most churches don't want you back, right? It's like, yeah, oh no. This is, this is where even even last week we came into this with fist leadership. It, it's something that I maintain. I, you know, unless unless I see that I'm wrong by scripture, I'll probably go to my death affirming this that this is the difference that between gifting and leadership. And so in Ephesians four again. Um, where people will say, well, the, the word they're used is gift. So um, these are gifts. No, they are roles. They are clearly roles in Ephesians 4. They are leadership roles. But just because he says that the church was gifted, he's saying they're gifted with these roles. When Christ ascended, he's using literally the gifts given to men. Um, he's distributed these roles. And, you know, the language used there is gift. But you see, a man, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, okay? As scripture tells us that. So if you have a spiritual gift, that's the way that the Spirit wants to use you. But in the New Testament, Paul lays out that you should not hold the role of leadership if your character is not intact. And so um, he will always have that gift. And so uh, men who have fallen morally will still have the gift of teaching, they can still use that gift of teaching. There's lots of different places where that gift is needed within the church. I don't think that, uh, you know, if a man has moral failure, that therefore he can no longer be a teacher. But I do think that the uh, scripture is, you know, saying that he needs to be faithful to his wife. And so perhaps the position of leadership is no longer uh, open. Uh, to him. And, and, and then the debate goes, you know, well, what if he's restored? Can he ever go back to leadership? That's one that, you know, it's a tough nut to crack that. And See, I don't know. I don't know that it's that tough of a nut. Why are we so willing to forgive non-Christians and not Christians? It's like, you know, whatever you did, like, look at Paul, everything that he did prior to his conversion. And then, you know, it's like, okay, well, we can forgive you for murder. But you know, because you weren't saved then. But once you become saved, you're 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 you know, forget it, man. We just discard you. Yeah, Paul does make a distinction between what he did before he got saved and what he did afterwards, and he just. But my point is, though, we were willing to forgive you for what you did before, but it's like we're not willing to forgive you after you're saved. Yeah, the the reality is, though, that you know, it it's not a matter of forgiveness; it's a matter of restoration. Now, interestingly enough. Um, in the New Testament, we see Peter is restored into ministry. A lot of people think <clears throat> that when Peter has the conversation with Jesus on the beach and he says, you know, uh, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? He asks him a, a second and third time, a third time Peter's hurt. A lot of people think that that was the first conversation that he's had and that the topic at hand is forgiveness. That's not the case. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul slips in that there was another meeting when Jesus appeared. You know how he says, you know, first he appeared to Mary, then to the 12, you know, then to, and he lists it out in what order he mentions that he meets with Peter alone. Uh, and, and, and the point at which he says that he meets with Peter alone is, is in between. It's not mentioned in any of the Gospels, but it was a private audience that Peter has with Jesus. And so, I believe that they worked out during that meeting uh, that we're okay. You know, I forgive you, Peter. You're still in me. You're not where Judas is at. You're not the son of perdition. You're not damned. 
you're, you're okay. But where we see them on the beach, it's actually Jesus restoring him to ministry. And that's where he gives him the commission. You see, it's not his salvation. It's not his standing before God that's in question. It's his restoring back to leadership. And so um, the, the two were separate. You know, um, the, the, the idea of forgiveness, the idea of I'm cool, but, but that leadership, Paul just puts as a qualification. And, and so the question comes up, is that saying, um, you know, faithful to his wife now, not living in active sin? And I think that, you know, the commentators can't really give you clarity. So it could be that a guy, if he commits adultery and he's restored and, you know, years later, his relationship is back on track that he, he joins an elders team. I, you know, you, you can't absolutely rule that out. But the church historically um, has tended to, you know, completely push someone aside for the rest of their life. Just not sure that, that that's what the scripture's saying. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the model I've seen over the years is that uh, men have been carefully restored Um you know, but but I've also noticed a pattern that, that very very rarely have I ever seen a man go back into the same role that he had before and not have a repeated failure. Now I haven't seen every case, but I've been around long enough to to, to know that sometimes those issues, uh, you know, they could have been carried for an entire lifetime. They may take the rest of a lifetime to work out. I don't know. I, yeah. I've just it, it's. I, I don't have enough wisdom on this. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I almost feel like in each scenario, each person has to look at that, weigh up those scriptures. And like I said, I just don't see the scripture forbidding a guy for the rest of his life. But um, my tendency would be to take that completely off the table and say, look, it's not so important right now what your role may be in future. What's more important is who you are and your family and to... Um, not to see it as punitive, but to say, look, you know, um, there are temptations and uh, things that, you know, it opens you up to, you know, maybe that's just not where you need to be right now. But that that adds a de- it, it, it opens an even bigger question is the whole idea of um, is leading a church of that size? Is it is it even uh is it even healthy? Is it even, you know, and I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying like, you got Rick Warren. He seems to have been, but you never know, right? Right. You never know about anybody. You, yeah. Cause you could have it's said the same thing about Bob Coy. Yeah. And say, oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the comments I've got here in my, uh, my Bible from yesterday's reading, uh, is in Luke 10 with, uh, Martha and Mary. And let me just, uh, let me just read this, uh, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And one of the lines that I have written in here in my Bible is, don't let church work interfere with Jesus, because we get so caught up, like you're saying, um, in in the ministry, right, that we're doing. This, it becomes a job as opposed to what it's supposed to be, which is your relationship with Jesus, and it's the manifestation of that relationship. It's it's how you show the world your relationship with Jesus. But yet, um, you know, we've we've really as a as a church, we, we've turned church into a business. I mean, we've turned it into a um, a job 
You know, you, yeah. you, you get your job in ministry and I mean, think about it. You're not, you're not fishing anymore, right? Like the disciples. Well, now I'm a professional pastor and this is what I do for a living. And, and everyone else has a job, right? That they go to and they talk to people and, and uh, probably most of them non-Christians, but the pastor, his whole job has him focused working only with the saved. I mean, it just, yeah. it doesn't make, it doesn't make as much sense to me as it used yeah. to, as it once did. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my mentor the other day, uh, another one of my mentors, and he he basically, uh, he was telling me that they had put something up in their church, like a banner, a sign or something, that said um, something to the effect of, I probably won't say it right, but he said, a passion for ministry minus a passion for Jesus equals burnout. Mm. I just thought that was brilliant. That is so true. You can be passionate for ministry and not passion for Jesus. Now, I got to say about Bob Coy, he's not a dude that strikes me as somebody. And, you know, this is where, like, I don't want to theorize. I don't even want to attempt to theorize about what went wrong there. Shoot, man, I could tell you in a heartbeat what would go wrong for me in, in that situation. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure out I'm a knucklehead and um, that could be me and, you know, on and on. But um, Bob Coy struck me as a dude that loves Jesus. Just loves Jesus. So one thing, when I heard, there are guys where you hear about them falling, and you just knew, like, that guy was kind of a jerk, and he's really judgmental, and I could have seen that coming. Bob Coy threw me for a loop, because you talk about a gracious dude. I'll never forget when we interviewed him on for Church Planner Magazine about his church plant, that he turned at our cameraman. Do you remember that, Pete? And he started sharing the gospel with the cameraman. <laughs> Stop it. What? I was the cameraman. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Jerk. (laughs) I think I said something, too. Like, that guy needs it. But you're you're like, he goes, because he was talking about, you know, sharing uh, Jesus with others. And he goes, you know, a lot of times we're looking at going out on the mission field. But he goes, what about your cameraman? Is your cameraman saved? And and afterwards, I'm like, by the way, just so you know, uh, I'm saved. Yeah, yeah. I, I might have said some of the effect of it's still in question. We're it's still, still debating that. But the, the reality is that uh, I just remember sensing that dude's heart. And, and I always it's interesting because he has over the years been a gracious man. And I believe that others will extend him plenty of grace because he was filled with grace for others. And so, you know, if nothing else, man, in this kind of situation, where you're the dude who has screwed everything up at the end of the day, man, you know, I just, I'm so glad that even, even in the, in the newspaper report where it said, you know, he, he repeatedly said, Hey, I'm human. Do not follow me. I will fail you. And I was so glad to see that report in the newspaper because I'm like, dude, that is so the heart of what I find in the Bible. When I'm reading the Bible, I've got David. Is he the Messiah? No, he's not the promised one. Um, look, he's he's you know uh, messing up with adultery, Bathsheba, you know, on and on. Moses, no, Moses can't lead us into the promised land. Um, he's kept out, you know, waiting for another. Um, yeah, and by on. the way, that's really interesting that you bring that up because that's that's one of the things that I've seen on the internet that they're like, well, the justification for um, taking down all of his sermons and stuff. And someone brought up, well, you know, David screwed up, and we didn't, you know, immediately edit out the Psalms. <laughs> so someone 
chimes in and goes, well, that's because that was part of the canon, and we closed the canon. That was the inspired word of God, you know. And, oh, you know, Bob, yeah, no, Bob's got, okay. he's not inspired. And, you know, if so we're going to talk about how to deal with this stuff, right? Okay. That's, that's where I start getting a little bit, mm, you know, um, yes, that is disappointing. But the way that we structure church now, there's a couple things. Okay. Um, number one, uh, I, I got a letter, you know, from how, you know, from the church, how they were going to deal with everything. And I, I got to say, a, it was the board. Um, it should not be the board running things right now. Number one, they're not qualified. They're not spiritual leaders. They're board members. They're there to protect the financial assets of the company. Okay. Now, uh, it even said in the paper it was $135 million uh, turnover a year. Now, here's the deal. That's huge, by the way. That's just mind-boggling. But but here's the deal. It is a business. And there are many people whose livelihoods depend. Uh, They have over a 1,000 employees. So, okay, I understand the financial responsibility. However, the voices that need to be heard right now are the pastors, particularly uh, if you subscribe to Fist Leadership. We need to be hearing from shepherds right now, not apostles. Well, a little bit of prophets, but but mostly shepherds. That's who we need to be hearing from. That congregation does not need the board running things at this juncture in time. Um, The board does not have the spiritual qualification. They are not prepared for this. They don't understand ministry. And and, and I have no shame in saying this because um, the reality is uh, right now, I think they said all ministries will continue on as normal. What in the heck? Like, seriously, stop it. Shut everything down and mourn. This was your friend. This was your pastor. This was the visionary of your church. Shut everything down. I, I know the fear is, oh, oh well, you know, we don't want to lose people and we want to keep everything going and we don't want to, you know, um, no, it's going to be natural. People are shell-shocked right now. Have some town hall meetings, you know, call people together, have prayer meetings, seek the Lord, get the people focused back on Jesus. All this, you know, if, if it doesn't have to run, obviously, if it's feeding people, if it's, you know, keep all that going, no problem. But for Pete's sake, you know, let's let's stop and just uh, don't lead out of fear right now. Just stop and seek the Lord and say, hey, you know, what, guys, this is hard. Let's just shut down all the peripherals right now and come together and seek God's face. We're going to need to do that. And that's why I'm saying you need spiritual leadership right now. You don't need the board trying to protect the assets. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't make that distinction when I read that it was a, a board decision. It's always the board. In these situations, when the church is a business and it's got a lot of money riding on it, it's always the board that tends to take over. And I'm saying this because I've been through it, and also I read a letter this morning. That is, in fact, how these things are handled. And it shouldn't be. You know, no, I mean, it, no. it, when, when you're setting your church up, you, you need to uh, put in your constitution and bylaws that should the pastor fail morally, uh, because it's a legal entity, the board um, that is responsible for the org, uh, you, you you still you need to have something in there that, that the, the pastoral leadership will actually take charge of leading the congregation and communication needs to come from them. Board can look at overboard can be a part of it if they feel they need to protect the assets um but the reality is this is a time for spiritual leadership 
You know, I was uh, my folks were in town this last weekend. We had a, a death in the family, and and so my folks drove down from San Francisco to Southern California for the funeral. And um, so, you know, yesterday we're uh, out getting yogurt as a family, you know, and they get to see their grandkid who they hardly ever get to see. And so, you know, we brought up, um, I, you know, I brought up, hey, you know, this mega church pastor in Florida is just. Uh, been um, ousted for adultery and um, so it got us talking and there's a church up where they live and I had gone to this church uh, when I was growing up it wasn't a church that my dad worked at and it was pretty uh, pretty small and um, we uh, it, it's managed to grow it's actually managed to grow to a huge church um, I believe they've got three campuses with uh, 2,500 people at each campus that meet, you know, uh, every week, um, up in San Francisco. I mean, there's just not space, right? So you, you can't build a huge property like you can, um, in some parts of the country where, you know, you can buy just a, a huge, um, slab of land. And, um, one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting, and this is one of the things I wanted to bring up to you, because I, I thought it was an interesting concept. What they do to bring someone on leadership for eldership. Um, if you want to be an elder and, uh, and they think, okay, well, you know, we think you're someone who we can put into the trial program, if you will, you have to commit to six months to being at every meeting. And he said they either meet weekly or every other week uh, on a Tuesday night, and then they meet uh, one Saturday a month. And for the first six months, you're not allowed to talk at all during the meeting. <laughs> you have to sit there. I mean, you can talk before, and they'll talk to you afterwards, but you're not allowed to talk during the meeting. That is a great idea. And then at the end of the six months, if you still want to continue through the trial, and they still want you to continue through the trial, another six months you're on trial, but now you're allowed to talk at the meetings. <laughs> so now they're like seeing if you're crazy when you actually open your mouth. <laughs> Then at the end of that time, if you want to continue and they still want you to continue, then they notify the church, the the people, not for a vote. They just say, hey, um, this person has been with us for a year. If you've got anything to say about this person, if you don't think they should be an elder, we'd like to hear from you. And um, and apparently that actually happened to, to at least one guy that my dad knew that, you know, he'd gone through this process and it had taken him like three years uh, to yeah. finish off the whole process. And when they opened it up to the church, um, a lot of people came forward and said, you know, not pleasant things that, you know, this guy should not be an elder here and here's yeah. why. And, uh, and I thought it was just really interesting the way that they just, yeah, it wasn't automatic. It wasn't, yo, oh, you're a big tither. Great. We're going to put you on eldership. You know, it was, yeah. Do you really care about the church? Right. First of all, are you willing to come to all these meetings and not say a thing? And then secondly, okay, now you're able to talk. Are you crazy yet? You know, and, and I just I thought it was a really interesting concept for, for you know, this church. It, it's a great concept. It's not too different than how we do it in some ways. We're not that formalized, right? But um there's two things I would do. Number one, I would flip flop the order i would tell the church hey we're gonna take this guy on as an intern aka deacon really a, right. a servant you know um paul says before you make a guy a servant 
um, check him out, you know, make sure he's serving first. And uh, I can't remember that scripture, but it says, you know, um, if he's in a good standing with God and the people, um, I have to find that. Uh, but, but it's a great scripture that tells you, you know, let him serve first. Um, so check guys that are already serving. I would never, ever put a guy in if he were not serving and put him as a deacon. I wouldn't even consider him. But I see diaconate as kind of almost like a, um, a, uh, like an internship, but, but not necessarily. Some guys will never be in the position of leadership. Again, you know, my, my view on that, I believe that leaders are leaders and some will be servants and not all will be leaders. But, um, so we have deacons and we run guys through that. Now we meet as elders once a month, um, to go over stuff. Um, we talk on the phone in the week, you know, whatever. I'm always talking to my guys. We're praying, talking, whatever. Um, if I live next to him, it's face to face, depending on what I'm doing. But the bottom line is that uh, I, w- I would just start it first before I even put him in diaconate. I'd go before the church, and we've done that. Hey, we're considering so and so. You've you've seen how we do it, and then we bring them on as diaconate, and they function like that, where they're at the elders meeting, um, and they're allowed to contribute, but they're not actually leading. So I talk to my diaconate about everything. We as, as elders meet with them and we chat and they're able to contribute. They're able to give us input. They're able to do this ultimately because, uh, eldership leads, um, the, the word in the, in the King James is govern, which people don't like, but it means you make, you make the decisions, you know, but normally collectively we think stuff out because, you know, these are, these are worker bees, man. And, um, so we don't want to be disconnected. We have the wives on there. We believe if we put a guy on, well, you know, his wife better be called the ministry too. And uh, so we what? do it. What? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't mean that she has to be, you know, uh, Billy Graham's daughter. What's her name again? Um, can't remember. All I remember is Incre- Anne, but I know it's not Anne. that woman. Um, Ruth. But no, Ruth's that, the wife. It's not Ruth. It's um, Anne Graham. Is Lawrence, it? Right. And Anne Graham Lotz, yeah, I Good think um, the other one's Ruth Bell Graham, but she's Anne Graham Lotz, and she is a dynamic evangelist, dynamic speaker. So you don't got to be her um, as as a woman, but we believe, hey, you're going to be serving together anyways. And so eventually, uh, the elders come on. We've been through all this before, but but bottom line is, um, yeah, and 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 this brings up the point ultimately about um, the whole eldership deal is. One of the reasons I don't like uh, the pastor as the employer, which tends to be a model we use in Calvary Chapel a lot, is suddenly you have no accountability. If I'm the head pastor, senior pastor, and I'm leading a staff, I can fire anybody I want, any time I want. Now, as soon as I become your boss, as your fellow elder, the dynamics have completely changed. You know what has changed? I now have no accountability. You can't look at me and say, dude, you're way off base, man. So when I put a guy on eldership, he is my equal. I'm not his boss. Um, if we're both on payroll, we're both on payroll, but I'm not his boss. That's where I go to the board. The board needs to be spiritual men. By the way, all my board members um, tend to be pastors. Uh, you can have guys that are not pastors, but I make sure. So are they I- not a part of this church? Not always, no. Okay. Normally what I do is I put board members on of my church, of guys I know very well, 
um, who are pastors that will shoot me straight. So on uh, the board at Refuge Long Beach is a guy named Mark Convoy. Um, that dude will punch me in the nose if I need it. You know why? Because he loves the heck out of me. And if I'm wrong. Or he just really um, likes punching you. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but but he'll tell me, dude, you're off base. And I have friends regularly uh, who tell me I'm off base, who will rebuke me. I remember uh, one of my good friends, Adam Statmeller. Uh, we've had him on the podcast talking about prayer. Adam will turn to me and say, dude, I think you got some bitterness against you know such and such. And he'll call me on it. And that's the kind of guy that, you you know, the guys you're serving with the elders, you need that kind of accountability. And so, you know, what's most uh, interesting to me about that is when it's not their own church, that's kind of cool because now they can look at it objectively from the standpoint of, you know, what would God really want to be done in the situation? And it's not exactly. a, you know, I'm personally connected to it. And interestingly enough, in the um, public uh, arena with publicly traded companies, so much of their board has to be people who do not uh, work for the company. They have to have yeah. outside people on the boards. And, I mean, you're, you're essentially doing the same thing that they're required to do. And they're required to do it for the same reason, to look out for the shareholders, not, you know, what would God want this company to do. But Well, you know, and I'll tell you that exactly because if – say something happens to me. You know, I, I fall due to moral failure. Um I've got guys that will step in and they're not jockeying for position to to be the next in line. They are literally, as you said, they're spiritual leaders. They will get on a plane, they will fly out, and they will lead the church together with the eldership that's there. And they themselves are spiritual leaders. They're not businessmen. They're not a business board. They are spiritual leaders. And so the church will get spiritual leadership from inside and outside. The best men I know are on my board. The best leaders I know are on my board. And so the the reality is it's part of the network. It's part of New Breed. It's it's how we roll. But the reality is that when when you have a situation where um, it all goes south, uh, your church is in a good place. And I have seen uh, when, when I went through it with Refuge Huntington before Bill was there, there was a guy on the board who so badly wanted to be on staff, he started manipulating and trying to uh, align himself with the candidates for leadership to succeed as the next senior pastor. He started um, kind of engineering things and trying to set it up so that he would be the next guy to be put on staff. And it, and it all became very apparent um, as things kind of unfolded. Who was it? Who was it? Say his name, say his name, (laughs) but he was making promises. He was trying to do little deals. Well, you know, I'll, I'll push you forward if you do this. And, and it was just, it, it wasn't good, man. And you know, it, that's what people do. And so to have a board that's protected from self-interest, and as you said, from outside, people are like, you know, we just need to seek the Lord. What does the Lord want? They're not there to protect the financial assets. They're not going to make decisions based out of fear or money. They're going to literally be thinking about God and his people in that situation and nothing else. Yeah, that's, um, wow. You know, I just, I, I think about that and I really... I like that idea of having a, a board like that. I mean, to me, that just makes so much sense. Um, and yeah. you know, just I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 I just I think about this whole situation, and one of the things I brought up to my dad was one of the problems with, and I, I don't know enough about 
Bob's church, right? I don't know how it was structured. I've never been to a service there. I don't know who any of the staff are. Just like you said, as far as my connection to it is we did an interview with him one time and that's it. You obviously being a Calvary pastor um, are much more connected than I am. But one of the benefits that I see of team leadership, specifically at, at Refuge, that it's one, it's not the same guy in the pulpit week after week. And yeah. the effect that that has, one is, is on a personal note, right, where I, I become the big deal, right? I'm the next big thing because, you know, I'm up in front of 100 people every week and everyone listens to me and everyone likes me and so on and so forth. I mean, not saying that happens all the time because it certainly doesn't, but it can, right? And we've talked about it. Ego and impact are the two things that face every pastor when they get up there. And it's when ego becomes bigger than the impact. But when we've got a uh, a team leadership approach, now I don't remember exactly what it is uh, at Refuge Long Beach, but I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Chris Langham preaches twice a month, you preach once a month, and then we usually yeah. work in someone else, either a Reuben, a Mike. Um, you know, we've had Jimbo speak when he uh, when he was faithful and went to our church. <laughs> I, he was there for I'm your baby so identification. So. Back at Long Beach, you yeah. know, it's funny. The week before, I was at the sending church, and he's like, "You never told me how much church planning was going to jack me up from normal church the rest of my life." <laughs> and then you should have said, "Yeah, come back to the church plant." <laughs> Oh, your gifts are needed, Jimbo, baby. Jimbo's, your gifts are uh, needed. Nay, you know what? Jimbo's uh, he's a good boy. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But you know what I'm saying? Like of having uh, having different people speak. You, I mean, if Langham had a falling, or you had like if you had a falling at this point, it would barely even affect our church. Yeah, because yeah. you're there once a month. So I mean. Hey. At this point, if Langham had a falling, that would have a bigger impact because he's got... I mean, the church is growing. Um, The team is doing extremely well. I mean, I left right about the time things were popping. I told him, look, third year, it's going to pop. And, you know, uh, I come back now and there's loads of people. They they don't know who I am, which is brilliant. That's how I know I've done my my job very, very well. You, You look at Paul, right? On average, he spent three months in his church plants. And uh, the longest ever spent was Ephesus for two and a half years, but three months on average. As Paul moved on, he had to write letters just so that they'd remember who he was. And as the churches grew, they really didn't know uh, who the Apostle Paul was. And so when I move on from a church and it literally a year from now, Refuge Long Beach will barely even know my name. Uh, the church that I left behind in Wales, which became a church planning hub, um, they, uh, they they don't know who I am anymore. I came back and it was like, you know, uh, a year and a half later after I left, uh, barely anyone knew who I was. Mm. And that was awesome. I love that. Yeah. It shows me I'm doing my job right. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's just, it's one of those things that I look at and I really enjoy about the team leadership style is it makes it that much more difficult for the, the, the sin that, you know, some we look at and some are, are worse than others apparently in our eyes. And, you know, it, it, it's like, it makes it less of an effect on the church when you've Absolutely. got that kind of leadership going on. But when you've got one guy who's up there preaching week after week, he's, He's the he's the draw, right? He's yeah. the reason people come, not Jesus, 
not what we're doing here, but you know, I want to go hear that dude speak. And when that dude falls, that's when it has a huge impact negatively on the church. And of course on, on, you know, people's opinion of Christianity and Christians and Jesus. Exactly. And when I look at the Apostle Paul, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone who I'd rather hear preach than the Apostle Paul. And yet he wasn't always the guy preaching. And, um, you know, hey, and, and to say this, you know, guys, when you set up your, your, your leadership and your eldership and your board, I hope that this has been useful stuff that you can take with you. Set up a board. Sure. Have a secretary, have a treasurer, have a president. You have to have all of that legally. Maybe you'll be the president. Maybe someone else will be the president. Um, if you want to email us, you can do that. You can email uh, me. I know Pete gave his email. You can email me at Peyton at churchplannermag.com as well with any particular questions about this, um, setting up a board. We'll probably in future hit this again. But these are just things you know uh, to think about as you're setting everything up. But the other thing I want to say is, um, and, and I hesitate to say this, there's no judgment, could, could be any of us. And, and, and in fact, you know, many of us uh, over the years have looked at pornography and what have you. And what I can say to you is this, um, do not, you know, it's one of the, the, the issues of why it's important when you hear guys take a hard stance against pornography and ministry and people say you need to quit. The, the, you know, it sounds severe. It sounds harsh. The reality is that, you know, think 20,000 people down the line and the people that are going to be hurt. Think your family, think your kids. It's better to quit now while you've got 50 to 100 people than to quit when it gets up to 20,000 and hits the paper. So if you've ever wondered why do people take such a hard line on that, it's because of the damage. It's because of where it's going you are not going to be able to contain it. You're not going to be able to continue to look at porn and just keep it as, I just look at porn sometimes. Um, it is going to win, okay? If you do not kill it, it will eventually kill you. And there is no middle ground on that, okay? And one of the things I'm saying, because some people are like, oh my gosh, I got to quit today. Well, you got to either quit pornography, you got to quit the ministry, period, right? And I can say that to people and they just... They still kind of weasel out of it. And, and, and just so you know, I do not look at pornography. Why? Because I'm awesome and I'm a super Christian? No, because I put software on my computer. I put really good software. It's called NetNanny. Um, it's the best one out there. It gets the highest reviews. It's on all my computers. It literally, I cannot go to a porn website. If I do, it sends an email. Now, my wife is like, don't have that sent to me because I'm going to get ticked, right? But it <laughs> Your wife will kill you. <laughs> it gets sent to me, and my wife can go on it anytime and check that email. I'll give her reports. I'll be like, hey, I goof off with her. You'd be proud to know that my email says zero uh, concerns about my internet activity. But I put that on there years ago because I don't want to be the next statistic, and I will be, Right. Um, we could have a whole talk about porn. I would love to do a whole episode about porn. Um, where I've been, where I'm at, where I hope I'm going, um, this and that. And uh, it, it's it's worthy of a whole podcast, to be honest. Because, it, you know, guys need to hear this. And so maybe I should just save it. We're running out of time anyways. But uh, hopefully that's just whetted your appetite. Um, let's come back together, Pete, and talk about porn. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, hey... This has been... Wait, 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 wait. Before you go into that, let me just say, 
If you've got a comment, you can email us. Peyton's already given you the emails. It's either Pete or Peyton at churchplannermag.com, or you can call our message line. That's 562-553-0004, and leave us a voicemail with your question, comment, concern, or uh, rebuke. I'll take rebukes, too. Those are fun. No, not for me. Well, we just delete them, but you you encourage me. Right, that's the way I roll. Hey, and if you guys like what you hear, um, you see us on Twitter, you see us on Facebook. Don't just like what we say. We're enlisting you to actually be ambassadors of the podcast and the magazine. If I could, it, it just enlist you to say, "Hey, share it." Right, because if you like what we're saying, share it with other people. Um, for something like this, our sponsorship will come as we increase our listenership. It's getting big. But we want it a little bit fatter and a little bit bigger before we start approaching guys for advertising. So um, we would like for the And just so you know, we need that to continue the ministry of Church Planner Magazine and the Church Planner Podcast. So it's not a lot of people don't realize is everything we do is paid out of pocket. So uh, we actually have been paying. What we would like is for other people to pay for the podcast and to pay for the magazine. There are costs involved with both. And it's a chunk of change. We love our church planners. We know that God has called us to do this, but we need your help. And that's all you need to do right now is share us out. Um, don't just like the comments. Don't just like the statements or favorite them. Retweet them. Um, share them on your page. Tell the world about what we're doing. As our listenership, we can track every single page view, how much time is spent on uh, and that will help us increase uh, our readership, our listenership, and we will get sponsorship, and we will not be as poor as we are now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Now you can hey, close so, us out. Uh, well, you know, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach with people no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. You can't handle the truth. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music